Our first sponsor of this episode is Coastal Leather Supply, created by leather crafters for leather crafters, supplying premium leather tools and all your other leather working needs. Specialise in vegetable tan leather such as Buttero, Pueblo and many others. They ship internationally and are trusted in the Australian and New Zealand leather working community. Visit coastalleathersupply.com.au Welcome back to episode 22 of the Joseph M. Leather Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Caleb from Camp Leather Goods. Caleb is from Washington, United States and crafts wallets, totes and other small goods. His business is a registered veteran-owned business and all his orders are made to order, made by one craftsman. Welcome, Caleb. Thank you very much for having me. No, that's all good. So, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm uh, Caleb Arthur. Uh, I'll give you the short version. So, yeah. Caleb, 37 years old. I lived out here in Tacoma, Washington. I uh, started crafting oh, about five years ago. Didn't really start taking it too seriously as a business up until about a year, year and a half ago. Um, yeah, I've got a wife. Just had a, a newborn baby, five months old. So yeah. I'm Congratulations. entering the world of fatherhood for the first time, which is interesting. Juggling that and uh, full-time work from home, but it's been interesting. Yeah. It's a nice scenery up in Washington. Um, oh, yeah. it is beautiful up here. I don't think I'll ever leave. Yeah, it's I like that. Cat, like it's very woodland, sort of on the border of Canada. Um, yeah. So you. I read on your um, so so you got into you got into leathercraft in 2015, yeah. and you're working full time on the seas, sailing the seven seas. Yes, I was <laughs> playing the life of a sailor. Yeah, that's awesome because um, because growing up, like um, my father had like a boat, still still does have a boat, and I remember we'd go fishing, and like you know in the summer and just be absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine, like, what's it like when you're working, like, that's your job? Like, I, I don't know, it feels like a awesome job to have, you know, you're just out on the... Yeah, it, it, uh, it definitely, it felt very special and unique. Yeah. I knew I was a part of a, a lifestyle that very few got to experience, um, sailing the world, you know, I was, went to Singapore, Hawaii, California, wow. um, and just over and over, Alaska was kind of our main hub. We were, I was working on a, an oil tanker. So yeah. we go to Alaska, pick up the oil, and then distribute it up and down the coast to whoever needed it, whoever gave the best bid, basically. So yeah. you get, well, we're on a thousand foot oil tanker, and there's only 22 to 25 people on it, which is not a big crew for such a huge ship. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing. You, you see things that no one, else gets to see and you get paid very well for it definitely. yeah that's the thing because sailing such like an old trad- like this like goes back like yeah. century like millennia you know it's not yeah. like a new industry it's a yeah right. it's and like... it's not really talked about that much either that's what i like about it I'm, I'm very drawn to the old old traditional style jobs yeah i worked as did a little bit of woodwork here and there i worked as a sheet metal worker for my last um, I guess nine to five, if you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm very drawn to the, the different, the out of ordinary style of work. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting because I, because when I read your about, I thought you were just going up to Alaska and back. No, yeah, that but, was 
That was uh, where we got the oil. Okay. And then we distributed it down California, Hawaii, Washington State. Yeah. Um, when the ship had to go for any sort of major repairs, we would take it all the way to Singapore. Yeah. That was quite the trip. That was about a 28-day voyage from wow. Washington to there. Because during the whole duration of the trip, we had to get the tanks cleaned out of all the oil so we're down there in the heat scraping the the tanks of all this old dried up oil so that when they get to singapore uh it's less chances of being flammable and all that people can yeah. go in those tanks and work on them feeling a lot better <laughs> so, so you didn't go on the uh, atlantic ocean you're mainly just on the like pacific side yeah correct yeah what's it what's it like i can't imagine what it's like being you know when you were halfway across you know your, your center in the mid like the middle of the pacific ocean what's that like it's it's a bit of everything it's uh it's absolutely terrifying yeah because you look in that direction and you see nothing it's just water mm-hmm. uh you know that very few other people get to experience what what you are and you can't even really explain what it is you can't it's hard to explain you know, you uh it's it's a very unique family. Um, you have crazy hours. You work, you know, fourteen-hour shifts sometimes, and but uh, but then that means you get to go outside and see the craziest uh, starry nights. You know, yeah, it's just incredible because there's no pollution of oh, yeah. city lights. Yeah. You get to see stars like you've never seen before. Yeah. I remember uh, a boss of mine one time. He asked if I'd ever seen the Northern Lights, and I said I hadn't. He said because they're going to be out tonight. We were pulling into Valdez, Alaska. I remember we're standing out there on the bow, and he says, "Okay, look up there." And I, I look up into the sky, and it's just like this neon green kind of ooze in the sky. That's right. And it, yeah. the next hour, it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. It's incredible. Yeah. And it was two of us out there, just kind of growing out on this incredible moment it was amazing was it like flat calm as well yeah yeah that's awesome it's, and then you know one day you'll be up on the bow doing a bow watch and you look to the right and there's you know orcas right there and it's just all these things that you're in the middle of it it's, yeah it's just incredible yeah um we used to have a shack on on the uh probably people in australia probably know on the york peninsula um and I remember, yeah, one of the things I used, to, I used to love about going up there is the light. Like, you, there was there was hardly any light, and you could just see, like, the stars. And, you know, you'd get yeah. the, the moon, like, coming up over the horizon and just, like, illuminate, like, that strip of water, like, that all of that water that would be light, lit up by the moon. Um, yeah. I can't imagine I it, yeah. So did you get into, could you get internet connection when you were out in the middle of the Pacific? We did. Did um, towards the tail end of my time with the company, they did end up getting Wi-Fi, which is actually pretty incredible to be in the middle of the still be able to you know check your Instagram and get on Skype or yeah. you know, be able to call your your loved ones. Um, but before that, for like the first three years I was with them, it was all very it was just email and it was very slow. Yeah. So you usually you would have to wait until you pulled into port somewhere and then go to. Get, get a coffee and use their Wi-Fi or something like that. That's awesome. But, uh, once they got the Wi-Fi, that was kind of a game changer for everybody because now you can call your wife and say goodnight, you know? Yeah. Did, um... Every 
What's it like when you go from being on the ocean for like three months to sleeping back in your bed? Because I remember one of the things I used to love about, you know, you going out fishing for a day is that when you'd come home and you lay in your bed, it feels like you were rocking still, like on a boat. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely took some uh, took some acclimating. The first week is was always a little chaotic to come home. Um, it definitely felt like everything was moving faster. Yeah, because you're kind of building at a set speed for, for three months, and then you come home. You're walking on the sidewalk, and cars are flying by. You definitely notice it. Thing it takes a long while to kind of get your your land legs back. Yeah, and you'd get some good waves on the Pacific as well. Yeah, there's a few videos out there on YouTube. Of, yeah, I think our company in some crazy storms and it is wild i was in a few of them where i was up on the, the bridge yeah and uh it's absolutely terrifying but incredible at the same time you have so much faith in the ship and the crew mm-hmm. you know that it's been through worse in the past so you're gonna make it just fine but it's still i had like sweaty palms the whole time yeah it's certain it's incredible. Does um, like, how do you deal with cabin fever, like on the boat? Because you, you sort of you're restricted to that one vessel. You can't really just jump overboard and. Right. Um. It's it was pretty good because by about the time you start going on a little loopy or you you just need to get on land, you're you're always pulling into port somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe the longest we would be out on the water at a time was maybe those 28 days if you're heading out to Singapore. Wow. But in between that, you get to get off the ship if you want to. Yeah. If you don't have to on the clock, you can go grab a burger in Alaska as long as you're back on the ship in time for your watch. Mm-hmm. So that was like, that could be it. Like once a week, you could maybe get off, off whether it was Alaska or San Francisco, uh, Long Beach, California. You were always able to at least get off if you needed to. So yeah. it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Would uh would like Alaska would like some of the ports in Alaska like freeze over? Um, so we just went to Valdez, the um, the port there is is all I'm familiar with. So we weren't in like Dutch Harbor or anything like that. It was definitely covered in like you know six feet of snow, but the areas that we had to go to were pretty well shoveled and yeah, clear, salted and everything because there was just so much foot traffic, like twenty four seven. Yeah. I haven't seen snow before. Never. <laughs> no, no. I was probably from a, I think from an aeroplane. I've seen it, but yeah. not haven't touched it tangibly yet. So, come well, on this way here in, in uh, uh, December. You might see a couple inches. It's yeah. After her. <laughs> yeah, I know it's. Yeah, I love it up there. It's um, very green and yeah. Have you ever done sailing before? Not traditional sailing, yeah. no. Just a working sailor. Yeah. Okay. I remember I did I did sailing in year twelve. We had to choose between sailing, kayaking, or windsurfing. Yeah. And um, I remember I was thinking, oh, well, I've done I've done kayaking before, so I won't do that. And if you do kayaking, you're gonna be just they're gonna send you on like you're gonna have to be doing like two k kayaking every single day and then like there was windsurfing where i was like oh you know you have to stand up on a board so i chose sailing and it was just like me and someone else and you're on like a two 
like one person's at the front, one person's at the back. And that was actually a really fun experience, like learning how to sail. Um, yeah, it's something that I would uh, I would enjoy myself. Yeah, because you can't um you can't sail. What is it? You can't sail directly like at the wind. You have to sort of. So when we would go up this um, lake, you'd go like zigzag up, and it was, yeah. it was so fascinating just how they um you know how fast you can get with the wind and all that so you got into so how did you get into leather work then yeah so um while i was out working on those oil tankers i I had come home from a tour and i was you know my my two months was up and it was getting ready to go to be time to go back out to sea again and my girlfriend at the time she's now my wife we were dating and she had given me gifted me uh, like a leather working kit it was this box that you can get you can get them at most craft stores it's kind of uh learn how to make a keychain learn how to make a wallet learn mm-hmm. how to make a, a key fob and it, it provides you with everything you need all in that box it's really cool it came with a mallet some pricking irons some leather lace uh, including the dye and so i thought that was really cool she just kind of got it on a whim I said, yeah, I'll, I'll tinker around with this. So I brought it out with me because we did have a, a bit of downtime back times. And so I kind of just opened up the box one day, went down to the, the bosun's locker, as they call it, the shop, and just kind of started tinkering away. I made my first wallet while I was down down in the shop, boat rocking away, and it was pretty terrible. It was kind of like a, a traditional like Western stamping Mm-hmm. So it had, had like a stencil kit to do like a basket weave and like a horse. And I found out really quick that I'm not much of a a carver or a artist when it comes to leather. But I made it and, and uh, I still have it. It's nice to look back on and yeah. uh, kind of see my progress from that. So I made everything in that box and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I was like, this is kind of right up my alley. Um, it held my attention, which a lot of things don't. I tend to kind of bounce all over the place of interests, and leather work just kind of was it for me. It was really fun. Yeah. But then I never, really, I never continued after that. I never went and started buying my own tools. I kind of just put it away and said that was fun. And it wasn't until you know a year and a half ago or so that I kind of rediscovered that passion yeah. for leather working. Yeah, and, uh, I've been doing it since then. Yeah. So, did you didn't, did you have much leather when you're on the boat? No, I only had uh, a couple panels that they provided me with in that in that kit. Yeah. So it might have been like a, a ten by ten by ten panel. Some of them were even like pre-cut, like uh, like the keychain fobs were already oh, pre-cut. Yeah. All all you had to do was dye it and lace it up and put your own design on it. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much like a starter kit. Anyone could, could make those things. Yeah. So there was like, on that ship thing, so there's all different, you have like, it's like a little village pretty much. You have like your little workshop, your like. Oh. 
Yeah, so it's like uh, you've got the, the deck side and the, the engine side, basically. The engineers, they're kind of down there with all the gears and the engine. They're, sweat. they're, the, they're the hardest working ones, if you ask me. And I was part of the deck side, so I'm out there with my crew, like, pulling lines and getting us tied up to the port and all that and, uh, and uh, transferring the oil when it's time. Um, so we had, you know, our own little kind of movie theater, if you will. We had our own little dining hall mm-hmm. we had uh, just a little bit of everything our own laundry room that had up to i think like seven or eight machines just all the basics that you needed it was pretty impressive yeah uh, everything you can get done on there yeah but it would have been a, it would have been a fine where it would have been a well-oiled machine like everyone doing their like everyone has their own job and it just comes together perfectly yeah. Yeah. Everyone's got the got got the, the four to eight shift, the eight to twelve and the twelve to four, and whichever one you're on, you've got one partner with you and you two get together and get the job done and when you're done then you wake up the next guys and they take over for you. Kind mm-hmm. of a I had it, got it. It just goes on for three months until you get to go home for two months. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just actually very really fascinated. So, is there like? Do you build like a real camaraderie? And are you with the same people like the next two months again? Or uh, uh, there's definitely definitely a camaraderie. So the the company that I worked for had um, I think it was five ships that were all built exactly the same. So if you worked on one, you've basically worked on the other. Everything from where they put the tools, it was all lined up exactly the same. Um, but the crew <laughs> did rotate differently so you do one one 90 day tour with your uh your shipmate but then you may not see him again for another year you will definitely see him or her again but you just never know when because it's always rotating yeah um there were certain officers the higher ranking folks they got to pick a ship that they wanted to be permanent to Mm -hmm. and they got to stay on that same rotation but uh I was kind of a, a lower, lower decky, if you will. So I just kind of floated from ship to ship, taking what they gave me. Yeah. Okay. Um. So did you dye uh, leather on the boat, or? Yeah, the kit came with um, just the the raw vegetable leather, and then it came with a couple like a, a basic brown, black, and uh, some conditioners. And so yeah, I was just there and, and I came with like a little yellow sponge and I, I dyed the leather and I, I, for reason I was really drawn to that I like knowing that okay I can start any piece with natural I can leave it natural or I can make it green I can make it black I can make it red and knowing that it was kind of like always at my fingertips any color I wanted I really liked that so now even today with my products that I sell online I always start off well, 80% of the time, I'll start off with it naturally, and then I've kind of picked about five um, basic colors that I do. I've got the mahogany, brown, black, and, and natural. So I always, yeah, I start with it raw, and then I dye it to whatever the custom the customer wants. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so how, how did you learn leather work back in 2015? You, you were just working on the kit, and that was... That was was it to be honest um i didn't didn't know what i was doing i didn't know i was just kind of you know threading the needle and okay just kind of 
doing, I guess I had a little bit of history in sewing. My grandma was a seamstress, so I was already kind of set up for, okay, this goes here. This is where I need to do a little bit of kind of order of operation. Um, it wasn't until more recent years that I started, I would say, like improving, getting better to where I could realize that, okay, this is a mistake I made before. I won't do that again. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of trial and error. In the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, I've got some buddies that show me stuff that I gave them years ago, and I almost cringe at it. So, yeah. Yeah, I almost want to take it and throw it away because now I see all these flaws. They loved it, or at least they pretended to, to be nice. But, um, I've, yeah, I've come a long way. Just a lot of trial on there. And made a lot of terrible wallets along the way. Yeah. I know. I, I still have my first items that I made got my first wallet that I made it's a it it is good to look back and just you see the the huge learning curve you went through but yeah I think it's important to keep those around because it gives you a basis of this is where I was now look at hopefully we've improved right yeah Mm. but yeah it's important to keep I call it like the, the bag of shame I've got about six or seven things in there that are pretty awful but I, I keep them in there to, to look at every once in a while yeah i know it's amazing because even when you made those those items you were so happy like i remember my my first wallet i made i was so happy when i finished yeah. it and um yeah it's, it's cool just to look back and it's like wow i was, I was really impressed with that and yeah it's uh mm. yeah yeah, that's. I think that's the important part to take away from it is the excitement and how yeah how engaged you were making those. Because yeah, even though I look at them and I say they're terrible now, at the time I thought they were the best. I didn't know that, that I was using eight ounce leather and that's way too thick for a wallet. You know, <laughs> it's what I had. So yeah, I made it. and you, and you can't get that excitement back because you've already done it you know like even right. if you make a wallet nowadays you'll be like not nah, like that's not good enough I've done, i haven't done the stitching right the edges aren't burnished right whereas those early ones they're like yes i've finally got it together and the stitching's <laughs> wrong and yeah so you end up back on land and then uh what do you decide to do next well i guess towards Towards the end, um, as my, my girlfriend at the time, Katie, uh, her and I started getting more serious, and um, it got to a point where the, the tours away were getting to be a bit unbearable. We had, we had done quite a few. We made it work, and so I, I made the decision to stop sailing to basically keep us together, to, to be together. Mm-hmm. It just you know, we were young and excited and to see each other half of the year is uh, I don't know maybe it works better when you're a bit older and you guys have been married for 20-30 years but we were young and excited and there was no way to start a relationship so I, I put an end to sailing we got engaged um, got married bought a house and um, yeah I worked a few kind of jobs here there trying to figure out what it was that i wanted to do after sailing it was kind of it took me a while to get over not sailing i wasn't uh, i didn't go out very easily a lot of drinking um i don't know it was hard to say goodbye to 
it's hard to leave, but I finally got over it and I realized it's so much better here, you know, with my wife and being present, not having to wait to say goodbye. So yeah, so worked a couple jobs, worked at a, a sheet metal factory there for a while. That was my last, um, I guess, traditional job. And then once COVID hit, kind of that first wave of, of layoffs started happening. I was, I was right there with them. I saw people getting laid off and it was just a matter of time. Days later, they called me in and they said, Hey, sorry, but we've got to let people go. We weren't considered essential personnel. And so we, our factory was shut down. And that's when I kind of just came home, got on unemployment for a little while and said, okay, this is not very fun. I can't sit on the couch for this long. I had to do something. And so I just kind of look up this leather thing and at least see if, if it uh, grabs my attention. And I just said, okay, maybe, maybe I'll do this. I started selling things and people bought them and they would send reviews and they'd send good reviews and said, okay. And that gave me confidence to keep going and buying more. And then I said, okay, well, I guess I need a, a website, one of those website things and discovered Etsy. That's where I first started selling on and that kind of got my feet wet into the whole marketing and sales, photography and uh, just from there, it's kind of like, all right, I'm all in now. And I started getting more gear. Sales kept coming. I made a website. Didn't know how to make a website, but I got on YouTube and learned what I could from folks giving out free advice. And I made a decent one. It's not incredible, but it's, it's all right. <laughs> Gets yeah. the job done. Um, yeah, and here I am now. I guess about a, a year, a year later. So, so what was the what? So when you decided, okay, what what was the the the, the plan? Was it just to, how, yeah, how you know, I didn't really have a plan. I just kind of, I would say I knew the basics. I would, I've never worked anything in business at all. I have a lot of friends who are really good with it. And um, I've reached out to them many a time. Uh, um, I was an Etsy shopper. So I said, okay, I'll, how much do they charge? I'll, I'll make an Etsy page. And I'm just tech savvy just enough to kind of get my hands dirty up. But I stayed fairly up to date with technology and stuff. So I can jump in and pick up on things pretty pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew I needed a website. I had to sell the stuff. I knew there had to be some sort of advertising. Um, I had to get my name out there somehow. So, uh, so yeah, Etsy, the website. Um, and then there's certain things that just sort of fall into place that you didn't know you needed to know, like the kind of boring tax type stuff. But uh, for me, it's all just kind of been this organic progression of, okay, now I need to do this. Let's learn how to do this. It's just not being afraid and just saying, you know, I'll figure it out or ask somebody. There's free resources available out there. anywhere. YouTube, I, I call it YouTube University. It gives you that introduction, like even if you are just starting an Etsy store, there's someone who actually, they'll walk you through the basics of just how to get going. Like, they'll just, um, I even know when I I built my, when I made my Shopify, I just, just watched the tutorial of someone just like how to, you know, and then after that, you sort of fill in the nitty gritty sort of that, like you sort of refine it a bit. Right. 
But um, yeah, I think that's one of the the. It's, you see your develop. I think you see your development in a variety sort of ways. I know for me, it was like if I got like a new workbench or something. You know, like the first how I first started was just using a a bedside table that I made in year 11. That was my desk. And then I advanced up to like another desk. And then I, and sort of, you see those small increments, you know, even like a website, you know, I remember when mine was like very crude, I'd, my photos weren't really done correctly. And then, right. you know, you sit down, okay, I'm going to actually buy a lighting kit, buy a, you know, some photography paper tape. That's kind of how I, everything is just kind of a whole baby steps mentality. And a lot of that is just from what, available funds i have at the time yeah so you get you get what you get the cheap pricking irons from amazon for eight bucks and you use those until they go dull on you and then you see these other people using these fancy ones and you say okay how much are those wow 200 bucks okay i'll start saving for those mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, but you can if you've got the skills you don't need the fancy stuff you know you can make a great wallet with that Hmm. a rock and a fork bread and leather <laughs> there's a video on that too you know it's either you got it or you don't and you're going to get it with it with time and making mistakes but thus far yeah everything for me is start small and then move okay now i can afford this now i'll upgrade upgrade it as you can so i had the, the etsy website and then you can kind of make your own semi-personal website through them and it doesn't have a lot of customizable options, but it's your own website. And uh, and, then, and once once you hit the limits to that one, you go to Shopify or Squarespace or wherever, mm-hmm. and uh, then you make you make the good one. Yeah, and, uh, it's all just kind of the learning as you go and doing what you can with what you got. Yeah, there's a specific tool that I want to get. I want to get a Palisanto Edge Bevler, and but I have this, I've been using this edge beveler and it, it works still like it, um, you yeah. know, it works, but you know, for the time yeah. it's like, okay, I can just, I can handle this as it is, you know, I can, I can eventually buy one, but you know, it's not like an immediate thing that I have to get like at this point. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, I know a lot of like, separating the needs, the needs from the wants. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, so when you, when you decided to do this like full-time sort of thing, you, you just learned just by watching more YouTube videos and yeah, yeah, I watched, uh, I watched, uh, Little King Goods was probably the first, one of the first ones, Quarter Leather really stuck out to me. Yeah. Little King Goods. I I loved how educational they were. It wasn't just look at my awesome wallet that I made. It was going through the steps and they showed everything and they showed the products and the tools it was kind of like a, you know how-to video and i yeah. really liked that stock and barrel parker over there he's really good with sharing the mistakes that he made so that the future people future leather workers don't make the same mistakes and uh, um i just kind of took mental notes and of what doing what they were using and then doing my own research to see if that's something that i actually needed um, and then just, yeah, buy leather, trial and error, mess them up, mess them up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's just discover, or trying to discover what look, I guess, I wanted to make. Yeah. Because you can swallow it and look. There's, I guess, 
call them luxury leather companies where it's just flawless. Everything about it is flawless. The edges are like glass. The stitching is perfect. And that's great. There's a time and place. My stuff's a little kind of, I don't know, grittier, chunkier, um, more kind of focused on durability, I would say. So maybe when it comes to beveling the edges, maybe I stop halfway through and say, you know what, yep, that's good enough. I kind of like having the look of my products look like they've almost been worn for a couple of weeks before I send them out to you. Like it looks kind of worn in already. Mm-hmm. I, it's kind of just the look that I'm going for that I like in, in other products. Yeah. What are you inspired by? Like what items? So being out here uh, in Washington State, we're kind of blessed to have, are you familiar with the company Filson? Uh, sorry, what was the company? I'll type them in. Filson Outfitters. Have you heard of them? Uh, Filson Her- American Heritage Outerwear Clothing. Yeah, so it's like they make kind of like workwear. They've been around for ages, like over 100 years. Oh, yeah. And I've um, their, their flagship stores here in Seattle. And so my whole life, um, I've seen Filson products. I've, I've just been kind of enthralled and always wanted to own Filson, Filson, Filson. It's got this reputation for amazing durability and they're all kind of passed down heirloom type items. And I, I just kind of wondered, well, what is it that makes that, that wallet or that bag X amount of money? Cause they're a bit on the pricier side, but I would go to their store and I would look at these things and say, well, why is it, why is this wallet $200? And I would just kind of examine it and, look at the stitching and then research the leather and say, okay, they're using top-notch materials here. This was stitched by a human, you know, this isn't like a mass produced item. This is kind of a specialty item that, that needs care and needs attention to last a long time. And so it's, it's products like that kind of that I am inspired to, to make the same quality anyway of that quality um kind of like the camping outdoors items that are made to be worked yeah and hopefully outlast the, the person using them yeah that brought that bridal leather wallets i'm just looking at one of their wallets now that's in, yeah i'm actually quite impressed they're using bridal leather for their wallets are they a, like a one business sort of thing or are they sort of have multiple stores They've got stores all over um, the states. I'm not sure if yeah. they've gone overseas, but they, they originated here in Seattle. I think we got at least, uh, I don't want to get this wrong, but we've got several stores here in Washington. You'll see yeah. them all the state. Um, yeah. yeah, they've got been like kind of outlet stores where you can get kind of their, their mess-ups or their items that didn't sell one season, so they'll mark them down and, they just make great, great quality gear. Mm-hmm. And it looks like that it's uh, very tailored to uh, where, but where you live, like sort of in that woody environment. And yeah, there's definitely like uh, Northwest, and they they're geared towards Alaska workwear as yeah. well. So it's like for the fishermen, for the yeah. contract worker, the um, construction worker, I should say. Yeah. It's definitely uh, workwear quality. Yeah. yeah. What items would you like to make? 
Yeah, so I've kind of got a, a couple things on the back burner that for whatever reason, time, I haven't made yet, but I definitely want to get more into the, the waxed canvas variety. I've made a couple yeah. of things so far. I now know how, you know, I know the temperament of it. Um, I want to make kind of a traditional, uh, um, like, sailor's uh, duty bag. Yeah. A sea bag, I should say. Like, I was in the Navy myself, and we always had this really cool, uh, like, forest green, army green, if you will, big old sea bag. That's what we carried all of our, our clothes. And, mm. and I want to make my own version of that, maybe kind of more geared towards, like, a weekend trip, but have that sailory um, look to it. It's real yeah. thick, thick canvas that can withstand um, getting rained on. You throw it in a boat, and it'll be fine. Yeah. And the cool thing, the cool thing about wax canvas, similar to leather, is it just looks better over time. It's got that cool kind of mm. crinkle effect, where you beat it up, and it just looks better to me. Yeah. I know that's the one. You know, because you got a sewing machine, you could just that wax canvas. You could just easily just stitch oh, yeah. it all together. It's a. Uh... Yeah, it is a nice. Yeah, the, the sewing machines are almost too powerful for it. You gotta yeah. choose a tiny, thin needle and really kind of baby it. Yeah, and you just, you know, roll the edges over and stitch them in and all of that. Yeah, and they stay right there for you. You, you crease that edge and it, it stays there. It's incredible. Yeah. Making a paper airplane, make that fold, it's not going anywhere. You don't even need to use glue or double-sided tape or anything like that. It just, it does what you tell it to. Well, okay. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you that. So you don't need to use doubles, like any adhesive or anything like that? You don't have to. When I when I first started doing it, I would do it just because I saw other people doing it. Yeah. But then I, I'm just wasting materials here, so I stopped and I just put a nice, got a straight edge and just made a nice crease and it's not going anywhere until you sew it. Yeah. Our second sponsor of this episode is Artisan Sun. Artisan Sun leather care products were created for crafters in mind, not corporate greed. The son of all the artisans who came before him, Artisan Sun Australian premium wax-based products, handcrafted using all natural ingredients. Their top-selling product is their leather conditioner. Unlike other leather conditioners, Artisan Sun leather conditioner is wax-based, made the old-fashioned way to ensure your leathers stay looking good for generations to come. Artisan Sun also has its signature leather heritage oil, which is ideal for rehydrating dry leather and is an excellent tool for using pre and during leather dyeing. Got dirty leather, Artisan Sun also has a range of cleaning solutions, from genuine horsehair brushes to natural oil-free leather soap. Protecting metal from surface rust, Artisan Sun metal conditioner keeps metal protected from oxidation, all natural and petroleum-free. They also stock fabric wax, wood conditioner, and the Heritage Leather Care Kit, containing some of their well-known products to clean, hydrate, seal, and protect your leather goods. Check out their products, which have seen generations of use, at www.artisansun.com. That, that's, what, what color are you going for that more tanny look or that more green? I'm kind of obsessed with forest green. It's Really? <laughs> my yeah. It's a bit crazy. I've, I've painted everything in my shop green, orange, and brown, kind of real northwesty. But uh, as far as canvas, I've got a pretty good selection of navy blue, kind of a butterscotch yellow, and olive green, of course. Mm-hmm. That's what I've got my first batch of those. And uh, I'm sure I'll venture off and 
start making different colors, but that's kind of my my signature colors so far, I guess you could say. Yeah. I, I go through SailRite is the company where I get my canvas from, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's good. Like, that's a good thing about wax canvas, because, yeah, like you said, you, you know, you could just, it's made to be worn. You know, like, if you went, you know, went camping, like, there's a picture of some guy with his camo jacket hanging his wax canvas bag by a tree and it's all wet and weathered and not weathered but it's all you know soaking wet from the rain but that's what you expect when you to it has a good reputation when you think of it yeah and if you get the the heavy wax stuff you can kind of choose light wax or heavy i I've got both, and I prefer the heavy wax. And uh, yeah. you can just run water right over it, and it runs right off. And it's completely dry. Incredible. Do you have to condition it at all? or um, Over time, yeah, you'll want to reapply wax because it does wear out eventually. Yeah. Uh, I've, never, I've never done it myself. I've watched videos on people <clears throat> doing it. So that if I have to retreat something, I've kind of already got a head start. But essentially, you're just melting down these pellets of wax and then using like a, a brush and, and recoating it again. And yeah. if, if you mess up, the beauty of it is you have a you use a blow dryer and you melt it back in there and you start over. It's, yeah. it's very forgiving stuff. Can't really mess it up. You know? Yeah. Actually, Artisan Sun, one of the sponsors, they actually sell fabric wax, so that could actually be used on. Um. On it, so actually, quick question. So, like, because I I don't have a sewing machine, and like, mm. it's probably one of the things I probably like to get eventually. Probably not now because it's kind of those. It's not something I need yet. Yeah. How did you? How did you go? It's, about... it's quite a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many. They, they all start off at a pretty high price. Tag. Yeah. Like, how did you? First off. Um, like, what made you decide to get a sewing machine? Because, yeah, like you said, it's such a huge investment. And secondly, how did you filter through what what to get? Like, what's a good entry level? What's a good... Because my knowledge of yeah. sewing machines is like, bam, I'll tell you how to... I'll tell you how to saddle stitch, but don't ask me how to, like, pick a sewing machine. Yeah. It's, um, so, yeah, I think... I I figured that I I convinced myself that I, I needed a sewing machine. I think once orders started picking up a little more, mm-hmm. when I first started, I was you know what, I'm going to hand stitch everything. This is my thing. This is what I do. Uh, everyone gets the hand stitched wallet, and I try to do that still as much as possible. But when the orders started getting higher and higher, I wasn't able to make my deadlines of getting them shipped out in time. I said, okay. You naturally, if things go well, you're going to have to upgrade. Either hire someone to do it for you, or you're going to have to find a way to speed things up. And so the machine might answer. But I still wanted uh, I still wanted that hand-stitched bit in my products. So I kind of figured, okay, how can I get away with speeding this up, but still it's hand stitched and I came across was it Tipman Tipman Boss are you familiar with that machine no so it's essentially just like a, a manual crank 
and it can it's a it's a tank of a machine it'll go through half an inch of leather but but uh, you're still cranking it by your hand so you're not it's not an electric sewing machine you're manually stitching it but it goes a lot quicker so i i found one of those and they're reasonably priced they were about a thousand bucks but then I, even that was high for me. I didn't have a thousand extra bucks to spend on that. Yeah. So I was able to find one used. I found a guy um, about 30 miles away who was getting rid of his. Uh, he was a knife maker. He does knives, makes knives in his backyard. And he said he just never got into it. He couldn't figure it out. So mm-hmm. he basically sold it at price to me. So I went and picked that up. And that was my first machine, I guess. Um I tried using it for like a month and I didn't like it. It was too finicky. It was never consistent. It was it's like it always had to be tweaked. And I said, man, I can't be doing this. I can't speed things up if I'm always having to rethread this or whatever. So I ended up selling that and I made made a few hundred bucks off of it. So I was kind of flipped it and then used that extra money to machine. But yeah, there's a million machines to choose from. So I just I got on YouTube and saw kind of what people were using, what they recommended, what the different styles were. Um, I came across a company called Sailorite. That's like I was saying, where I get my canvas from. And I priced out their options and said, okay, that's still a lot of budget for me. And uh, I contacted them. I kind of just went old school and I emailed them. I said, hey, I'm, I'm this new leather crafter this is what i make i had a website to show to them that i i wasn't kind of just a joe schmo you know looking for a a handout but i said i would really love one of your machines is there any sort of kind of deal we can make where i can promote your product on my website or you know basically can i can you give me a, a deal on it and they were kind enough to reply and they worked out a deal with me to make it feasible i said which one do you want and uh, and I got to pick. I, I chose the Sailrite Fabricator. It's kind of their top of the line one, and that is my machine. That's my go-to workhorse now. Is the, the Sailrite Fabricator? It's I've had a single issue with it. I've wow. recommended to many, and it never it wouldn't have been possible for me at the time if they wouldn't have reached out and given yeah. me a hand. So I've yeah. nothing but love Sailrite. They they did a really cool write-up on, on me on their webpage and. I appreciate them for that. Just a really good relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, because, like, you know, the worst thing they could have said was no. And, you know, they'll probably Absolutely. forget about it the next day. So Exactly. They're either not going to respond or they say, sorry, we can't help you right now. Good luck. Yeah. I'm on their website and I'm looking at their fabric. They have hobby fabric, indoor fabric, marine fabric, outdoor living fabric, auto and RV fabric. There's yeah. a lot of fabrics. Um... Yeah, Sailrite is definitely a sailing company. They started off um, making actual sails, repairing sails for mm-hmm. sailboats. Recent years um, expanded into jeans and different styles of fabric and kind of more of the hobbyist crafters uh, yeah. products. Okay. So bag fabric, the heavy one. So I use their the heaviest stuff they they got is the 12 ounce i believe yeah that's a nice color they got camouflage as well you could lose your bag in the in the woods <laughs> you make it out of... i haven't done the site in a while i'd like to see if they've 
expanded their they have every color you can think of yeah they, do. They, got, they got red royal blue navy blue white charcoal for oh there you go forest green there's your one yeah sage that's awesome oh how's the renovation going because yeah i um i saw the the start of it i remember it was like just like a dirt floor it was yeah cool and, yeah you saw from the very very beginning yeah it's it's impressive how yeah just yeah how how well it's uh it's come up so you got your your brother josh helping helped my buddy i call him my brother he's pretty much my brother and my actual blood brother james came out uh from idaho to help as well yeah um i, I found real quick that um having a, a newborn baby um it wasn't going to work in my current situation because our rooms were right next to each other. The one room that I had available where I did my crafting uh, was next door to the nursery room. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not going to be able to, you know, I have a laser engraver and all that. I'm not going to be able to be banging my pricking irons. If he's trying to sleep, it's not going to work. So I had to try and kind of get creative and move spaces. And the only space that was available was our, our detached garage in our backyard but it was just kind of a it was just a place that i used for storage of my tools and just kind of uh looked into the funds and said okay don't really quite have the money available for a huge project like this kind of priced it out professionally what it would cost and that was way out of budget yeah and i kind of just okay well i've got i've got some crafty relatives who are pretty good diyers and uh, just sort of pricing things out. Even in, with COVID in these times, lumber prices, it was still worth it to do ourselves. Yeah. Uh, lumber prices were like almost triple, but uh, they're starting to go down. But anyway, yeah, I, I called up my brother and said, hey, I have an idea. I'm, I'm going to try this kind of uh, crowdfunding option. If it works, would you be willing to come give me a hand? He's a working man, so he doesn't have a lot of free time, but he said, I'll give you a day. So he, long story short, I started this GoFundMe, and in 11 days, um, people funded what I was, uh, had set my goal for. And, mm-hmm. and even a little extra, I was getting some, some side donations from really good friends and family that so supported. So yeah. I called my brother and said, hey, it's, let's do this. And so he came on down. He loaded all his tools in his this truck he came down and uh we knocked out put in the whole new subfloor we uh put in the french doors um and then the very next weekend after that my buddy josh he came and helped me with putting the actual floors in putting the drywall up um electrical work uh i had a niece did everything kind of you know on the cheap they're they're doing it as a friend or family Mm -hmm. um my niece's boyfriend's an electrician, so he came and did all the electrical for me. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it without their help. But it's becoming quite the space, man. I'm in it right now. The AC unit comes in on Tuesday, and that's when I'm really going to start working in here. So once we get the temperature squared away, it'll be go time. Yeah. that um, I was, I was just looking at the, the, fir- the what it used to look like before you renovated it. Oh. And, uh, yeah, there's a huge difference. Like, so how did you do the, cause you took the roller door out, 
looks like. Yeah, right. I ripped out the, uh, the garage door. It was kind of a roll-up one. It was already bent, and it, it worked for what I needed it to, but it was already pretty much broken. Yeah. So I just went down with the sledgehammer, and I knocked everything out, unscrewed everything, made about three trips to the city dump with truckloads of everything. Um yeah, the, the foundation at the time, if you can even call it that, was like 110-year-old crumbled-up concrete. That There was no way that I could uh, um, use that. It wasn't level anywhere. So the only option was to either pour a new foundation, which was going to be six grand, wow. or or just build one over the top of it. But my mm. brother basically to me, basically make a box on top of it six inches up, and then we level that. So now where I'm sitting, it's six inches higher than, than where we were before. Yeah. So you put concrete six inch high, or do you just build like a wooden? We just did a wooden, we yeah. used two by six, just made like a wooden frame around it. And then we put joists every 12 inches for support. And then I used uh, plywood over the top of that, three quarter inch plywood. And then the actual uh, laminate flooring that's in there now. So yeah. now you kind of up into the space about seven inches or so and mm-hmm. build a little, little yeah. front porch step for that here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool little space. I'm every day. I'm kind of adding things in here making it a little more comfortable. Yeah. I moved one of my sewing machines here today. Um, yeah. We're getting there. I, That's awesome. I told myself by September 1st, I want to be fully moved in. So yeah. That's awesome. So if you could go back to when you first started, what piece of advice would you give yourself? I would probably tell myself that it's okay to say no uh, in the early stages. And still now, I, I'm still in the early stages, but um, it's easy to get really excited and take, take on every project that someone asks for you. Um, mm-hmm whether it's out of your knowledge base, I kind of said, oh, I'll figure it out, and I, and I made something, and it, it turned out fine. I took on a few projects where I just, I didn't, it's not something that I would have made by choice, you know? It wasn't, like, distasteful or anything like that, but uh, I wish I would have said, you know what, maybe I'm not your guy. I'm kind of going away from the custom world, which is just because of time. It mm-hmm. takes away from the projects that I really am passionate about. Yeah. So, yeah, I would probably tell myself it's okay to say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, customers aren't going anywhere. It's okay to say no. Mm-hmm. What are some challenges you've faced? Mm. Timing, I would say. Not mm-hmm. having enough time is probably my biggest one right now. I've got a child, I've got a wife, I've got a family, and I'm trying to battle um, prioritizing. Mm-hmm. So finding finding the right amount of time to fulfill my orders and spend enough quality time with family that it deserves. Yeah. So that, that's been a, a more of a recent one where it's like, oh man, I'm kind of falling behind on where I should be on orders. I need to prioritize a little better. Yeah. Or get tools that will help me help me speed up things. Mm-hmm. It's all just you know, it's all just learning. And I'm, like I said, I'm still in the early stages, so I'm, I'm still learning it. What works for me and what doesn't. Yeah. 
what's your favorite tool that you have? Oh man, can I can I call the sewing machine my tool? Yeah, you could. The fabricator that kind of opened up a whole new world of possibilities for what I can make and how fast I can make them. So that's mm-hmm. got to be my number one. I still look at that thing and I can't believe that it's mine. It's yeah. black and and beautiful. It's heavy. It's just a well-oiled machine. It's got to be that. Do you, in, in regards to storing, like, sewing machines, can, what sort of in, environment can they be stored in? Like, can they withstand, like, being in, like, a like a hot shed or, a, you know, freezing cold shed? Or do you have to sort of, does it have to be sort of a dry, neutral climate? You know, I, I haven't looked into that probably as much as I should. I just yeah. know that in Washington, we don't get really extremes. Um, even our most extreme, like, the past few weeks have been really, really hot. I think the key is just to keep them lubricated, keep them oiled up all yeah. the time. Yeah. It's going to work as long as you, you know, give a little attention. I'm lucky with the fabricator that it oils itself. It's got mm-hmm. kind of a little oil bath that it sits in. It's got a pump and it filters through the machine. Um, not to say that you don't have to add a little bit yourself. I, I give it a little extra but it's nice knowing that that thing um, basically services itself. Yeah. Um, and my other, I have a Singer cylinder on machine that is ancient and amazing, and I, I keep that one oiled. Yeah. Uh, almost yeah. every time I go to me, it's been oiled right before you. What oil do you have to use for sewing machines? Just when the craft store and just says sewing machine oil, I don't even yeah. know the make, the brand of it. Um, yeah. just has a really long, narrow kind of spout on it so that you can get in the hard-to-reach areas. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were in my other shop right now, I could I could tell you the exact brand, but I don't have it handy. Yeah. So what's your, what's your next step now? My next move, once I get sorted out in this, uh, in this workshop, I, I got to get caught up on these current orders. Um, mm-hmm. It's my favorite favorite time is when I'm completely caught up with orders and there, I have nothing to do. And that's when I can kind of go to the drawing board and get creative and say, okay, what's the next product I'm going to add to my website? That's yeah. what I want to do is just keep adding more options instead of making the same thing over and over in different colors. Mm-hmm. I want to have a new product to get excited about and get people excited about. Um, so... My next move is to get in the shop and speed up my process. I've kind of gone to the world of, of uh, clicking and dying. Yeah. So instead of, you know, hand, hand tracing from a template and cutting it out with a knife, it'll just be like the cookie cutter. So I'll have my top selling wallets. I'm going to have all of them made into dies. Yeah. And then just have a stack of all of my pieces ready in one spot so an order comes in boom i stamp it i stitch it together ship it out as opposed to right now i'm, I'm still kind of lagging behind where i'm starting from the very beginning and order comes in okay go cut the leather out and uh, i want to be already a couple steps ahead so i'm going to go to more of the world of kind of faster production with clicking and dying yeah i don't have one of those uh what's the things that you the the press yet? I don't have one of those. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, you can, I did it for a while for like even like 
embossing, like putting my logo in things. I just use a, a Harbor Freight. We have a store out here called Harbor Freight. It's an, it's an Arbor Press, so it's made for like pumping out bearings, but it's all it is is a lever, a lever and, a, and a shoots down at high pressure. Mm-hmm. So I just turn it into my stamper, so you can kind of improvise a little bit. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to go with the big fancy clickers. You can. You've got the money, go for it. But I got one that was, you know, medium priced and it's got a pretty big um, surface area to work with. Yeah. So you can do bigger items. I can do a full wallet, no problem. It was, you know, 300 bucks. A lot less than, you know, 2000 mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I want to add is I was talking to my wife about this the other night. It's like, it's a shame that I haven't started selling my goods overseas yet. There's really no, no um, good reason for that aside from me not wanting to have to figure out the shipping details. So hmm. with, uh, with my website the way it is, I'm pretty sure it'll be pretty easy for me to start shipping overseas. So yeah, uh, when you asked about where I'm going here in the future, that's that's on the list as well to start selling to anybody who would um, be kind enough to buy something from me. Yeah, and I know for me, it wasn't that very hard to work out the shipping details. You can just, I know like our postal service, they have... Um, you know, calcu- like you can calculate, you know, under 20 kilos and then you can just type in, you know, Canada, America, United Kingdom yeah. and it comes up the rates. I noticed that you do, you sell like the baby shoes. How do they, were they easy <laughs> to make or? That was just kind of, that was when I was, uh, I think it was a couple of nights before my, my son was born and I had some, um, some scrap leather of the crazy horse, uh, Laredo crazy horse leather. And uh, so what can I do with these tiny pieces of scrap? So I can make tiny shoes. I'll make baby shoes. Oh, I'll make my son's first pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I found I found a, a template online, and I just kind of, you know, like we do, cut it out, traced it onto some leather, and stitched it up. And I was like, this, this came out quite nice. It was just yeah. adorable, you know. I showed it to a few people, and they said, wow, you made those? And like, it's only like three pieces you put together and stitch, and uh, your kid's gonna outgrow them in a month anyway. So it's more of just one of those things that I wanted to make that you could kind of give as a gift of like my my child's first pair of shoes, and then yeah. they hold on to them. They don't necessarily wear them every day, but it's just something cute to look at and to kind of hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make that kind of celebration of him, and I put my little my little camp logo on there mm. for him. <laughs> yeah. So, so why 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 did you choose the name Camp Leather Goods? I've got to ask you that. Uh, um. So it's there's kind of a lot going on with it. In the very beginning, I, I wanted to do something with my initials, Caleb Arthur. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to just use my name. Uh, I was trying to kind of think of something an acronym of you know and um as far as the actual act of camping i love being out in nature and like we were talking about earlier washington is so great for just being in the outdoors we're very blessed to be out here i found so much joy and nature out here and just it's kind of where i'm completely just free and relaxed um and so i wanted to incorporate that kind of the, the outdoor aspect with my brand 
in that, um, I don't know, in CA, I was like, okay, I'm halfway there. And, and I wanted, I wanted it initially to be geared toward just outdoor gear only. That's all I was going to ever do. It wasn't until later that I started kind of doing handbags and different things. But when I first started off, I wanted to make camping style gear. It's like, okay, perfect. Camping, camp leather goods, that'll work. And it had my initials in there. And um, then I kind of, um, it makes for a really long story. I think we'll just keep it there. Okay, that's fair enough. But yeah, it's, to put simply, uh, I wanted to utilize my initials and, and tie that in with outdoor gear, I guess. Yeah, okay. No, and the might... space that I appreciate, like my workspace, it's kind of decorated as if you were in kind of cabin in the woods. So while I may live here in the city, I have this kind of escape where I feel like I'm, I'm out in the woods, you know? Yep. Yep. Okay. That, that makes a lot. That makes a lot more sense. Camp leather goods. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Caleb, for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. That was awesome.